Welcome to 52 Weeks in the Word. I'm your host, Trillia Newbell, and today I have with me Dr. Esau McCulley. Esau is an associate professor of New Testament at Wheaton College and theologian in residence at Progressive Baptist Church. You have written a book called Reading While Black. I imagine that there's some who haven't considered the concept of our ethnic background affecting our Bible interpretation. So I'd like for you to explain that. But here's my question. How can we approach and apply texts that were previously used against the black community? Oh, man, you asked me. Those are two separate questions, but I'll try to get to the first one, and we'll get to the second one in a second. Because I think that people often misunderstand, or at least they hear things, and they kind of, they get really nervous about what does it mean when you talk about African-American biblical interpretation. And one of the things I say to them is that you can affirm how our experiences influence our interpretation without denying the authority of Scripture. And the, the best example that I can say is that anyone who's kind of preached a text or taught from a text, and let's say, for example, you're getting ready to teach at a, a women's retreat, um, and you have, you know, a book of the Bible in front of you, and then, you know, the next week you're going to, or a month later, or a year later, you're doing a youth retreat or a premarital counseling. That same text, when you start thinking about the audience shifts, you actually see things differently in the text. It, it, the text hasn't changed, and there are things that are actually there, but because you're not thinking about them, you tend to miss them. You say, oh, I never saw how this passage actually really helps me, you know, to think about how to be a good spouse or whatever. And so what we're saying is sometimes the audience in preparing a text for an audience helps us see things in the text that are actually there. That's the first part. The second part is sometimes the experiences that we bring to the Bible helps us see things in the text that are also there. So say, for example, you are um, wondering, you know, does the Bible um, support, uh, like you said, the things that were done to black people? So that means when you come to the biblical text, you have a particular set of questions that you're trying to answer that someone else who hadn't had those experiences aren't trying to answer. But because we believe that God's word is speaks to our very situations, we believe the Bible can provide us with a clear explanation of um the questions that we bring to the text. And so the, the the issue isn't whether or not the text is authoritative, right? I think that that's a really important thing to affirm as a Christian. The question is, how does um, our experiences, in some cases, help or hinder our reading of the Bible? One of the last things that I say is that we all recognize that cultures differ. So, you know, some people say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a complete Anglophile because I love British culture. I love Down Abbey. I love British Reserve. And they understand that. And that's not terribly controversial. People say, you know, um, I love the Germans. The Germans are so direct, you know, these kinds of things. Or people would say, you know, I love, you know, um, global South Christianity and, and the bluntness of my Nigerian brothers and sisters. In other words, we recognize that different cultures have different ways and habits of being and existing in the world. And to talk about African-American biblical interpretation, this is really talk about the collective wisdom of the African-American community in the United States, how they've read, understood, and applied the Bible. That's way of speaking about a community. There, I remember when there was, there was this, um, there's a journal that exists. I don't know if you know this, um, Trulia. There's a it's called the Journal of Scottish Theology. And I said, well, you know, there's a Journal of Scottish Theology, and nobody ever complains, you know, why is that Scottish Theology? Because they kind of recognize this is the legacy of what the Scots have said about the Bible. Or there was the book that was really popular when I was um, um, going through seminary, you know, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, or How the Irish Saved Christianity. And so there's, there's always been these other places where we've kind of affirmed 
the way the contributions of different cultures to the Christian experience. And so I am not trying to make the claim that African-American biblical interpretation is separate from the wider interpretive experiences of the body of Christ, but the African-American Christian tradition in the United States is one place in which the gospel has come, uh, made its way into the lives and experiences and culture of the people, and then um, been applied. And those applications are a gift not only for African-Americans, but possibly for the entire church and the wider watching world. We talk about habits. So everybody who's a Christian it tries to make sense of the Bible by making sense of the whole thing. It's kind of like I tell I, I use my I tell my students about it's like playing music, and knowing when to hit which key and the kind of emphasis to each kind of key is what makes good music sound good. But if you hit the wrong one at the wrong time, it messes up the song. And so good biblical interpretation is playing the music as God intended the music to be played and the music being the words of scripture. And so one of the things that, for example, that was prominent in the African-American biblical interpretive tradition is to say, this is kind of goes back to the abolitionist movement. They would say at the center of the Bible, um, of the identity of God's people in the Old Testament was the, with the exodus from slavery. That God said, when God wanted to show, who am I? When God wanted to kind of drop his CV and say, well, you know, his resume, what have you done that makes you so amazing? He would say two things over and over again. I'm the Lord who made heaven and earth, and I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God is creator and God is redeemer are the central pillars of his character. He says, look here to understand who I am. And then if you go through the prophets, or even in the law, oftentimes God would say to the Israelites, when you get into the promised land, I want you to remember that you yourselves were slaves in Egypt, and then I set you free. So not only was it this kind of thing that was supposed to form their understanding of God, it's supposed to also understand their own character. So the, so the enslaved black people say, well, hold on. If I open this Bible, it seems like God's fundamental characteristic is one who liberates people from slavery. Now, they also said, in keeping with that, God liberated us so that we might worship him and live before him holy and righteous all of our days. Now, their slave masters go, no, 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 no. We're going to like, they, they, it was literally called the slave Bible. They took the Bible and they took all of the stuff that talked about liberation, justice, concern for the poor. They took those things out of the Bible and they said, well, the only thing that you need to read in the Bible is that God says slaves be submissive to your masters. So now you have two interpretive traditions. One interpretive tradition that says you should you should answer the question of slavery strictly by means of a few passages in Paul. And the other message is saying, if you look at the Bible as a whole, and they didn't, they didn't necessarily set aside the authority of Scripture. They're saying, listen, if you look at the Bible as a whole, it is clear the God of the Bible is, is on the side of the disinherited and stepped on peoples of the world, and you should let us go free. And so there's this quote in Frederick Douglass that I just found like a few weeks ago. And Frederick Douglass says something along the lines, if I'm paraphrasing it, he says that um, our slave masters tell us that all the Bible says is that we should be submissive to our masters. And they try to drive, basically they try, they try to use that to drive us from religion. But he says we should cling more closely to those words. And he mean, he mean, he, by that he meant the word of God, the, the entirety of the Bible, and use that Bible to show that God had wanted us to be free. And so I... And, and I would say then that the the main 
tradition of African-American biblical interpretation is to say the Bible read rightly and, and read faithfully as God's word to us for our good is on the side of both spiritual and moral transformation, and it's on the side of liberty. And I would say the best way to inhabit and apply that tradition is, is, is to see in the biblical text themselves all of the places where God is on the side of the poor and the the mistreated. I think that's, um, I, I, gosh, I, there's so much in all that you said. And again, this is one of those moments where we really need about an hour to unpack some things because I would, well, I will, I have one follow-up question. Where in the scriptures, because I, I could think of it, especially in the minor prophets, <laughs> maybe I've just answered the question, but where would you encourage someone if they're thinking, okay, I want to engage the text well and and think of it also in the i guess i would say in the eyes of maybe the african-american community where what would you tell them to do so i would say i got i got a book for you so i know it's long it's 66 books 66 chapters but i would say read isaiah and this is the reason i want to say read isaiah if you if you can't do anything else read like the first five or six chapters and then especially read isaiah 40 uh, well, you, you, you got to read Isaiah, so you got to make it through. I know. Do the parts. Do the best that you can with the tricky parts. So this, this is the reason why I love Isaiah, and, and, I, and I tell my students all the time to read Isaiah, because Isaiah does three things that are often pulled apart in our current culture. Isaiah criticizes Israel for idolatry, kind of false worship and kind of and not remaining faithful to the one God of Israel. So if you read Isaiah, you see a, an ongoing polemic against kind of abandoning the one God of Israel. But he also speaks in that same book about personal holiness. Not only are they abandoning the one true God of Israel, they're also out getting drunk, getting drunk and lying and cheating and, and kind of engaging in violence and mayhem. So there's two things you've done. Okay, the problem number one is you don't worship the one true God. The problem number two is you're engaging in all kinds of mayhem and misconduct. Then the last problem that he talks about is the oppression of the poor. He says, you've created these unjust structures in society and as individuals. You've done it as an individual and as a society. You've mistreated the poor. And so Isaiah combines three things that are often kind of three different Christian camps. There tends to be the holiness Christian camp, the kind of worship the one God camp, and the justice camp. And, and Isaiah says, you need all three of those for healthy spiritual spirituality. And the amazing thing is, when you turn to the, the Gospels, who does Jesus love to quote as a means of understanding his own ministry? He loves to quote Isaiah. And in Jesus's ministry, you see those same three things appear. Jesus calls people to holiness. Jesus calls people to faithfulness to the one true God. And Jesus also calls people to justice and concern for the needy. And so Isaiah, uh, and then I would say, read Isaiah and then read Luke. And if I could say one more thing about it, is that even Mary, now I'm in the Gospel of Luke, even Mary, when she's talking about what God is doing for her in, the, in her song, it was called the Magnificat, she also quotes Isaiah. So I'm just saying, Mary seems to be really into Isaiah, and then her son's ministry is super patterned on Isaiah. Maybe we as Christians should read Isaiah as well. 
Well, that is a great call. And so I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you. Um, for who you are, <laughs> that you are a holy and just God, and that we, you, you have given us your word so that we can know you more, God, and you have given us eyes to see in our different cultures and ethnicities and all backgrounds that come to your word, Lord. And God, you are so gracious to us that that there have been people who have persevered to read the whole text and to teach us so that we can have better understanding of your word. So God, I pray right now, Lord, that we would be um, holy as you have called us to holiness, Lord. God, we know that we can do nothing apart from you, God. So we recognize our need for you in order to um, live and walk in a manner that is worthy of your gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to the end, God, that we would um, cling to you, abide in you, rest in you, Lord, and that you you promise to finish the good work that you began in us, and I pray that we would be faithful, God, as we pursue your face to know you more. Lord, and I pray that as we are... Um, turning from our sin in holiness, running after you in faithfulness, that we would remember the poor and those who are needy around us, God, that you will give us a heart of justice, Lord. Um, Lord, make us whole Christians, that we would um, be, be holy, uh, holistically um, obedient and submitted to you, God. We pray this, Lord, in your mighty name, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Esau.